0: Hello, my name is Gabe. It's nice to see you guys here today. Just for, pretending like I wasn't already up here for a long time. Um, all right. Well, it's great to be back with you after a short break of 15 seconds. And I want to I walk with you through our second message in this series, Winning at Home. So get your message notes out. Thank you so much, Sam. Ooh, he brought my coffee back. This is great. Awesome. Okay. Grab your notes out and um, and, uh, and get ready to learn. I want to tell you about my first fight, okay? My first fist fight was in Northern California. Um, Sam, I'm using your coffee filters to wipe up this mess. I hope you brought more. That's okay. My first fist fight was in Northern California, and... Um, I, it was my going into, thank you, Brandon, I appreciate your support. Uh, I was going into my uh, freshman year in high school, and we were at summer camp, a church camp, you know, where fistfights break out. And um, <laughs> there was this kid that, for some reason, I didn't like him, and he did something. I don't even remember what the situation was, but it was actually my only ever physical altercation. And uh, I just remember being at the lake one afternoon after the morning Bible classes, and uh, forgot everything they talked about in the morning Bible classes. We were out there, and and so Johnny was there, and the guy that I didn't like was right in front of me. And I just remember this moment that he said another thing. He did another thing right in front of me, and I I just just punched him right right like kind of like right up here, not in the neck, but right, be, right below the neck. And um, and I, I remember that I was standing there with my friends, and I just remember the shock that came over me, like my dad's on staff at this church that I'm with. <laughs> This probably is not good. What am I doing, you know? And, and I just remember thinking, Johnny's bigger than me. What is the matter with me right now? I just punched somebody, and I can't really defend myself against this guy. For some reason, uh, there was, I had more friends with me than Johnny had with him, and so Johnny ran away, and I was like, yeah, you know? <laughs> that, like, I, like, I was actually tough enough to defend, and I wasn't. I just, I just lashed out in anger, And thank God, or I don't know if if God should have let me have it or what, but Johnny ran away. I won't ask you guys to talk about if you ever had a similar situation, but I'll bet a lot of you have had some sort of altercation with another human being that wasn't peaceful, yeah? Okay. Probably. Whether it be words or uh, emojis or whatever, I'm sure there's been an altercation. And we do live in a world fraught with conflict, don't we? Man, if, if, uh, if recent news wasn't enough to remind us that the world needs peace, I don't know what would be. We pause for just a second today to commemorate the great loss of 20 years ago of lives snuffed out senselessly, violently, inexplicably by terror and all that that cost and the 20 years of grief for so many people, you know? Why? And still we can't answer that question. Why? Why do people do these things? That is a very extreme case where thousands of people were were killed. And it's horrible and it should have never happened and we still should be praying for those families and we still should be working to restore order so that these things don't happen. But if you come back to now, we also know that there's times in our own experience that are also filled with conflict and that are also senseless and that are also wrong and they also diminish our quality of life. And we want to talk today about when, when you think about your home, could you have peace at home? I want to talk about peace today. Uh, I think it's so important that we do that. You know, we've moved so far from peace that we really no longer even know what it is. I was trying to describe it this week. And I mean, and I'm a pastor, and I've studied this stuff. And I've studied the original languages of what peace is. And I, and I, and I was sitting there this week, just like pen to paper, just blank stare, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because I want it. I know kind of parts of it, but I don't know if I was able to just off the top of my head say, here's what peace in my home would look like, or here's what it should be, or here's what I should do. So I really had to just go to work on this this week for myself because it's one thing to have maybe a a passive experience with people where there isn't shouting and there isn't pushing and there isn't punching. That's one thing. But actually, that's not peace. And we're going to discover that today. I want you to see in your notes, if you are looking at them, you're looking at your app or using the Bible app or something. I want you to see Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Because this is where we learn what God wants in our lives. And it says, it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. 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 Every effort, united. Binding with peace. Peace is a thing that is powerful. Powerful enough to bind us together and to keep us unified. And, and I do see the kind of the personal responsibility in that, don't you? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. And that there is a lot of effort involved in it. But I wanna give you a real definition Of peace, so that you can have this working definition for your home because I think this is really what it is when you look at scripture and you do the deep dive and you go, what really is peace? Here's what it is. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the restoration of wholeness. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. And that's what, you know, maybe if you go, oh, I wish we had more peace in our home. Maybe what you're saying is, I don't wanna feel so tense all the time. I wish we had more peace in our home. Maybe you say, like, I just don't like the yelling. You know, more, more peace in our home. I don't, I don't want to ever be, feel unsafe. That's, that's almost like, in some ways, that's getting us up to zero. That's like permission to play. That's like, that's like it is important to get rid of the conflict, the, the wrong kind of, the unproductive conflict. By the way, not all conflict is bad. In fact, it takes conflict to have intimacy, but there is good conflict, good way to have conflict. There's productive conflict. There's, there's peaceful conflict. And that's important to understand. But it is instead the restoration of wholeness. That's what peace really is. Peace comes from the Bible word shalom. You might have heard that word before, shalom. And it's an, it's an Israel, uh, Israelite greeting. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. And so uh, Hebrews might greet one another even today by saying shalom. And uh, somebody might have told you that, shalom. That's a good thing. Don't worry. They weren't cussing at you. That's a good word. And they meant good thing, really good things by it. Shalom, but actually shalom comes from a word called shalem. That's the root word for shalom. And, and shalem comes from an Old Testament passage in Exodus chapter 21 that I want to read to you, and it is all about restoring wholeness. So let me read you this verse and explain why this is so stinking important for our lives. It's kind of a funky verse, though. It's going to get weird for a second. You guys ready? Here we go. Suppose someone, this is Moses talking to the Israelites when they were wandering around in the wilderness, trying to figure out what it meant to follow God's rules. He said, Suppose someone digs or uncovers a pit and fails to cover it, and then an ox or a donkey falls into it. Well, then the owner of the pit must pay full compensation to the owner of the animal, but then he gets to keep the dead animal. I mean, I love that Moses throws that in. Well, he gets to keep the dead animal. It's, the Bible is so practical. <laughs> Because you might be wondering, like, well, what do you do with the dead animal? Well, he answers the question right there. But look at the words I underlined in your notes. It's the words payful compensation. Do you know what that word is? Shalem. The owner must shalem. What does that mean? Restore to wholeness the person who lost something. That's what has to happen if we're going to have peace. Now, I have a little jug of water here. This is such a dangerous Sunday, I just can't believe how many things could go wrong here today. I feel bad for Bart, because there's some really expensive equipment up here. Clark, I'm sorry, there's some really, really expensive equipment up here. But here's, what, here's basically what happens in our lives. Is, um, now, sorry if some of you have to go to the bathroom all of a sudden, but. Um, <laughs> unintended consequences. What does it mean to pay full compensation? What it means is to make it good. That's literally how you translate the word shalem, that you, if something gets taken from you, someone has to shalem, has to make it good. Don't you wish the world operated a little bit more like that? <laughs> that that would be like, everybody's understanding is like, oh, I'm so sorry. Look what happened, oh, let me make it good. I mean, that's, that's how Moses was teaching, but that's the way people should act, right? I mean, if you're a parent, you're like, yeah, I've been trying to teach my kids that for their whole lives. Because if, if you somehow, if you take something from somebody, if you, if you wrong them, then it should be that you're going to say, well, I'm going to make it good, you know? So here's, well, how much did it cost you to fix the problem I caused? $100. Here's 120 right? That's what should happen. I want to talk to you about why things escalate, okay? In your home, in my home, in any home, in any relationship. Why do things escalate in the world, in Afghanistan? Anywhere. Why do things escalate? They escalate for four reasons. The first reason is we perceive loss. We perceive loss. That can be somebody says something to you that's unkind. That can be somebody takes something from you that wasn't theirs. That can be somebody looks at you and you think what they meant was not good. That can be somebody didn't like your post on Facebook, and you were irritated because you liked their Facebook post, and so now it's like, well, I thought we were friends, you know, and so you know that's we perceive loss. And the second thing that we do is we identify the most likely offender. Think about the last argument you had in your home. (laughs) This is just funny, actually. I hope you get a little bit of the funniness out of this. But we perceive loss. You know, somebody says something at the dinner table or somebody doesn't compliment the dinner, or whatever it is. We perceive loss, and, we, and then, we, and then we, we go like, oh, I know whose fault that is. Yep, and then what do we do? We place blame. That's something that happens. This is gonna overflow here, people, <laughs> pretty soon. But you see, the problem is that all the while, I'm losing, and so what we need, I'll be right back, what we need This is why I'm so sorry, Bart. There's a hose that's actually working in here. We need to refill. Oh, somebody turned off the water. Can you believe that? Oh, no, they didn't. They didn't. Oh, there we go. It's working again. We need to refill, okay? And it takes some time. But here's the question for you is this. Because we we perceive loss, we identify the most likely offender, we place blame. Meanwhile, this thing's leaking the whole time, and then war breaks out. And what is, what is war, essentially? Do you know what it is? I'm trying to refill what you took from me. Most of the time, we attach our hose to the other person that we're blaming. We're like, well, since you took from me, I'm going to take from you, and I'm going to refill what you took, but I'm gonna actually take more than you took, and so I'm gonna leave you worse off than you started, and I want you to learn a lesson from that, and that's really what war actually is. And, and when you do that in your home, It's a chain reaction. Really hard to get past that, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine, um, I'm gonna put the weapon away now, okay? Can you imagine how bad it could get if one person does this and then another person goes, oh yeah, and then they do it, and then the other person's like, oh yeah, and then has that ever happened in anybody's home? No. Only this morning, right? How do you get through all that? How do you stop, you know, feeling like your tank is being emptied? Because it happens all of the time. Doesn't it happen every day at work? Doesn't it happen every single time you open social media? I mean, doesn't it happen when you have just the slightest little misunderstanding? Or the gas station attendant asks you twice if you need a receipt, and you're like, I already said no, you know? Like, why is that wrong? <laughs> they were clarify. You know, but I mean, we're so easy to trigger these days. There's so much going on, and maybe part of that is, yeah, there's so much going on that we're sort of like on the edge of of, of an eruption sometimes, and we're, we're so tightly wound. Here's the problem, though. We're taking it out on the people that we say we love the most. They're getting the worst of us, and that's just not okay. We can do better than that. We can love more at home. We can have more peace at home. But there's the reason why this is so hard to get to. There's different kind of wars, by the way. There's the Cold War that we, that we engage in. And that's where it's called the silent treatment. Anybody ever given somebody the silent treatment? Yeah. Um, there's guerrilla warfare. That's where it gets, it gets dirty. You know, you shoot somebody's kneecaps with a, with a bad word or with a name. And, and you, just, you just start fighting dirty in guerrilla warfare. And then there's nuclear war, where you actually go to try to dissolve the relationship. You're going you're gonna to blow up the relationship. And so then somebody's unfaithful to their spouse. Then somebody takes something big away from their future. I mean, big, bad things happen in nuclear war. But this happens in homes all the time. And then sometimes we act like it didn't happen. And we sort of just go about our business, but there's so much damage that's done and we have to figure out how this works. So I wanna give you in your notes the only real solution. The only real solution, and you probably know where this is going, but his name is Jesus. He's the only real solution to our problem, that we lack peace, that we don't have it, we don't even know what it is, we wouldn't even be able to describe it fully to somebody because the problem is we're not experiencing it in the depths of our being, in the, in, the, in, the, you know, in the recesses of our souls. We don't have peace. Not just the absence of conflict. Lots of people could have that. We don't have the restoration of wholeness. And that's what Jesus came to do. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. This is a prophecy about Jesus coming. And it says this, it says for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. The Prince of restoring everything that was taken from you. No wonder they were looking forward to his coming. If you think about the people who'd been through all of the historical mess of Israel's history, No wonder when somebody said there is coming somebody who's going to be the prince of peace. He's going to give you back everything that's ever been taken. Oh, I hope that means something to you if you've lost somebody. I hope that means something to you if you've had to declare bankruptcy during COVID. I hope that means something to you if you've gone through extended sickness or if you're so stressed out because of all the stuff you're having to juggle right now, and you're like, I just don't know if I can make it another day, I hope it means something to you that the Prince of Peace is here, that his whole reason for coming is to give us back everything that's been taken, to put us back into the wholeness that he created us for. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I was at breakfast this morning with a new friend named Michael, and he told me that he had been wrestling through this question when he was reading this verse one time. And he said that he was asking God the question, what does it mean that you're everlasting father? And I thought, that's a pretty good question. What does that mean? When, when the Bible predicts that, that Jesus is coming and it's gonna introduce us into a relationship where it's everlasting father, what does that mean? And, and Michael said, he, God showed him in that prayer that what it means is, Michael, you never have to leave my house. You never have to leave my house. I'm the everlasting father. Oh, man, that's good. If you think about that in relationship to what we're talking about, there's always going to be the father there refilling your tank. You do not have to be the person who grabs the hose and refills your tank. That's his job. Here's the the mess of, of conflict, is that when conflict happens and the wrong occurs, we go about trying to right the wrong ourselves and the conflict gets bigger. Because what's happened is we feel something's been taken from us, and it is our job, we think, to go and fix the problem. But what we see that scripture teaches us is, no, the relationship that Jesus died for is the relationship where we depend on him to refill everything that's been taken. To recognize that in him, we have more fullness than ever. I was making a list this morning of of things I'm thankful for because it just crossed my mind, like, you know, man, It's been a weird, rough season, just to be straight up, Um, and and it's been long, right? I mean, what are we going on, 20 months or something of COVID, Uh, whatever it is, a long time, too long, and it's been weird, it's been rough, there's been a million changes. We can't tell day to day what's going to happen next, you know? It's like, man, I've never, it's never been harder to lead a church in my life, and, and so many of my friends are saying the same thing, but you know what's interesting? I actually started making a list this morning of the stuff I actually like better now. It's a lot. It's most things. I actually like better now. And it, it wasn't easy getting to that point, you know? There was a lot of kicking and screaming on my part, but I kept, I kept on telling God, look at what's been taken from us. We don't even know if we can have services, you know? And all that, and it's like, felt like things were being taken, but I stopped, I stopped, and I started, you know what, let me, let me, let me switch that around and go like, yeah, but what's being restored? And that list is getting big, and it's filling my tank, and I'm suddenly feeling more, like gratitude in my heart and less edgy, a little less grumpy, I hope. My wife can probably answer the truth on that. I don't know, but where do you get peace? You get it from the Prince of Peace. If you don't have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, I hope today you start one. I hope today is your day. You jump in, you're like, "Ah, pick me. Yes, that sounds good. To have the everlasting Father be my Prince of Peace. Yes, please where I don't have to go grab the hose and always be like, man, I can't believe you did that. You know, oh, I turn the water off again. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. I gotta, you know, we're spending all of our time doing this. You ever notice that? Uh, so much of our day is this, like trying to top ourselves off because somebody took something from us. But we learn that it's the Prince of Peace. He's the everlasting father. He'll do that all the time. And we get our wholeness, our restoration from him. In your notes, I want you to write this down. Inner peace leads to outer peace. Inner peace leads to outer peace. The reason why homes are filled with conflict is because the individuals in the home don't have peace in their soul. So the place to start in your home is not to go to your spouse and be like, here's seven ways you can be a better partner. You know, <laughs> The place to, it's like, do that to yourself. Man, how about start with, are you connecting with the Prince of Peace on a regular basis, you know? Have you given him all of those misgivings? Have you you cried to him first, you know? Have you entered into that kind of relationship that's this dance of receiving first so that you can give, of letting him overfill you? I like what David said in Psalm 23. He says, my cup runs over. Well, how do you get that? Because he also said, that he was in a relationship with the good shepherd that made him lie down by streams of water. I mean, he was receiving in, in more measure than he was giving out. That's why his cup was overflowing. And if you want peace in your home, you gotta start in your own soul. You gotta start by saying, I'm gonna be connected to the restorer. He's gonna fill my soul. I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus more on what he's giving me than what other people are taking from me. And then soon enough, you're going to have the capacity to go ahead and weather that little storm and not freak out about it. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, I like this, Paul says, now may the Lord of peace, by the way, when the New Testament uses the word peace, it uses the word arene, which is a Greek word, which means the exact same thing. It means made whole. So Paul says, may the Lord of making people whole himself give you his wholeness, at all times and in every situation, the Lord be with you all. Isn't that great? All times, every situation, I think that about covers it. Nothing could be happening in your house where this verse couldn't be true. And it's time for us to lean into him for that. I was talking to Pastor Ken this week, and um, we were talking about this topic, peace. And he said, you know, one of the things that people often tell me in Luetta is he said, they, they walk into our home and they say, Man, this just feels like a place of peace. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, when you walk in, it does feel like a place of peace. And I started thinking about what does that mean? Wouldn't you like your home to be described that way? Wouldn't that be a great vision for your home? Somebody walks in and it's like, you know what, this is, this is a place of peace. Well, what would that be? You know, why, you know why people would say that? Because they would trust that if they step inside your home, nothing's gonna be taken from them. Not in conversation or any other way. That instead, it's going to be a building experience. That it's going to be a part of connecting with somebody who can help you receive the wholeness that Jesus has in mind for you. That's what it means to have a home of peace. Wouldn't that be an amazing vision for your home and my home? Oh, this is a home of peace. That doesn't mean because they never yell in this home. It means because the Prince of Peace is here, and he's restoring the people who are in this home, because that's the tone of this home, and that's the point of this home. I like what Matthew 5, 9 says. It says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Wow. So how do you be a peacemaker in your home? How do you do that? Do you constantly walk around with the hose, and you look for somebody whose tank is leaking, and you're like, oh, let me, let me fill that up, you know, Go, sorry, I'll be right back. you fill up somebody else's because it's happening all the time. That's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. Here's, here's all we can do. We gently take them by the hand. Our brother, our sister, our husband, our wife, our children, our parents. We gently take them by the hand and we walk them to the cross. The only place where a soul can be made whole. And if you have not yet experienced that today, uh, or if it's, been a while, and you're far from that kind of peace. Could we come back to it today? Would you, would you pray with me today that God himself will make you whole? Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for your peace. Thank you, Jesus, for being the prince of peace. You do what none of us can do you 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 don't just fill us back to where we started you make our cup overflow and today we want to rely on you so i'm repenting god of my own need to fill my own tank in those moments where i perceive that somebody's taken something from me and then i try to go take it back i'm i'm repenting of that god and i'm asking you to help me go a new way and that is to run to you in those moments to run to you to be my peacemaker to to make me a peacemaker God, I pray for the person who's in here who's, who's ready to say yes to your peace, to your love, to your forgiveness. If you've never yet stepped into the relationship with Jesus where he is your Prince of Peace, I wanna invite you to it today. You could tell him right where you're seated. If you're online and you're watching, if you're right here in the auditorium, you could tell him right where you're at. You can say, Jesus, today I'm choosing to believe in you. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose on the third day, and that you are alive for me today. I want to give you my life as best I know how. I want to receive from you all of the wholeness that I know I'm missing. And I pray that you would fill me up to overflowing so that I can give to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.